This is episode 143. We welcome you to the ADHD Smarter Parenting Podcast. Here to heal and elevate lives is your parenting coach, Siope Kinikini. Hello, everyone. How are you? Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Siope. I'm your host here for the ADHD Smarter Parenting Podcast. I'm glad to have you with me wherever you may be, driving around, walking, running. Thank you for joining me today. Listen, today we're going to talk about how to incentivize your children who are struggling with ADHD. And actually, this is applicable to any child. If you have a child that is highly distractible or cannot complete a task, this is the podcast for you because we are going to be talking about techniques and things that you can do in your home in order to help your child focus on what they need to get done or on what you want them to focus on. So we're going to talk about this, and this actually came up during a coaching session. I had a parent call me and ask me some questions about how do I keep my child focused on a task at hand. And this is something that's not really uncommon for a lot of parents. In fact, children are highly distractible anyways. When you have a child with ADHD who is distractible, however, it can be extremely frustrating, especially when you ask them to clean their room or to do a chore, take the dog out, take the garbage out, whatever it may be, whatever the task may be, they can become highly distractible. Now, the parent that called me up, we're going to call her Sharon, but Sharon has a young son who is about eight years old. He will soon be nine years old, and we'll call him Tim. So Sharon has been working with Tim on trying to focus in on getting tasks done at the end of a school day. Now, we're in the middle of summer now, so she has some specific chores she wants him to do when he wakes up. So we have tried some various techniques. We've used some charts. We have used some motivation statements. We have used effective praise, which is the skill that we use. We have used multiple things in order to help her implement with her child, and she's still struggling to find ways to help her child focus on the things that need to be done. Now, what I want you to be able to do at the end of this podcast is immediately be able to do better at providing an environment that can provide focus for your child. I want you to be able to help your child focus in the environment that they're in. Second, I want you to be able to use consequences and rewards more effectively. Now, Smarter Parenting has the skills of effective negative consequences and effective positive rewards, and they're interchangeable. They're kind of two sides of the same coin, and what I mean by that is there are five things that make consequences work, and there are five things that make rewards work, and when we look at what those five things are, you're going to see the exact same thing, so I'll go into depth in regards to that. And the last thing that I want you to be able to walk away with is some inspiration. I want you to be able to really focus in and hone in on what you can do in order to bring this about. So um, I want you to be able to first do better at creating an environment where your child can focus. Second, we're going to talk about effective negative consequences and effective positive rewards. And we differentiate that because consequences can be both positive and negative. We just want to differentiate that and make that simpler for you. And then the last thing is I want you to leave with some inspiration. Inspiration on what you can do in order to put this plan into place. Okay? 
So let's talk about Sharon and her son, Tim. Okay. Sharon and Tim are fantastic at working together. They have a great relationship. However, Sharon gets very frustrated because she has to always be on top of her son to do simple tasks. Like she has to be there in the room to help him finish a task. She has to walk him through it. And she just does not have the time in the day to babysit. She feels like he's old enough. He should be able to do these things on his own. Now, that technique of being in the same room with someone who has ADHD who needs to complete a task is actually something that can work for a lot of children. And that's called body doubling. And that is where a person is physically there. They don't have to do the task, but they have to physically be with the child to guide them along the process. And it helps the child focus because someone else is there holding them accountable. So she's doing this technique and it works, but she just doesn't have time to do that. So how can we help her create an environment where things are focused? So we're talking about how she is trying to get him to clean his room. Now, I wanted to go a roundabout way in working with her to help her understand how to create an environment where the child can focus. So we decided to focus on something different, and then we're going to apply it more generally into other areas of Tim's life. So I asked Sharon about other things that are happening in the home, things that she struggles with. And with Tim, she wants Tim to eat more healthy. She wants him to eat healthy snacks and not snacks that are like unhealthy. And she's not there to monitor the snack intake all the time. So this was a perfect place for me to interject on something that she could do environmentally to help her child focus in on what it is she wanted him to do. So we started to go through this outline of how she structures where the treats are and where the healthy foods are. And we started off in her refrigerator. Now, she had mentioned that in her refrigerator, she has soda pop and she has some other treats that she enjoys that are up front. They're kind of in the higher level. Her son is a little shorter than he is, but she has the majority of the treats just scattered around with milk and with other treats that she may have. Just other things in her fridge that are not healthy. And then she decided to put all the healthy treats in the lower crisper basket. So that's the basket at the bottom that you open and you close. So in talking with Sharon, I said, okay, let's do something radically different, okay? And this is going to shake up your life in a way because it's going to be different for you, but it's also going to be different for your son. And I told her, let's rearrange everything in the refrigerator. Now, that may seem dramatic to you who are listening. However, I wanted her to be able to change the environment in such a way to make the healthy treats more accessible to her son, make it easier for her son to partake of those things rather than making it difficult for him. So what we did was in the doors of the refrigerator, she put healthy treats that were eye level to Tim. She also put treats that were right eye level to him in front, healthy snacks. And then she actually hid the the other treats that she does not want him to take away. And what we did with that is we actually limited how much of those sweets and those unhealthy snacks could be in the fridge at one time. So instead of having like two six packs of soda, we're only going to stick maybe three cans of soda in there, but we're going to stick that in the crisper. We're going to make it visually focused 
So when her child opens the refrigerator, he's immediately focused on the things that he can see, and those will be the options that he has to choose from. Now, I talked to Sharon about this, and we drew a diagram of what it would look like and shifting all these things around, and she felt, okay, I'm going to try this. I don't know if it's going to work. Let's go ahead and see what we can do. So Sharon did it that night, and the next day, her son opened the refrigerator and was like, where is everything? It took him some time to reorient himself, and in fact, he started to do some exploring and look around. But what he noticed was that instead of having multiple of the unhealthy snacks, there was only a limited amount of those. And he started to notice that eye level to him, it was easier for him to grab something that was in front of him than it was for him to do all the exploring. So it took a couple of days, but eventually what she found is that he was eating more of the healthy snacks because that was what was in front of him. Those are the things he was able to focus on. And so we started to make this environment of the refrigerator and the treats that he was having focused on what it is mom wanted him to partake of. When I talked to Sharon later, she reported, you know, this technique actually has been life-changing for me and for my son, because not only is he eating healthier, she's eating healthier, because those are the things that are right up front. So if you're curious how this works with the refrigerator, for example, you can do this in the pantry, you can do this in the room with a child's room. There's a lot of different ways that you can apply this principle. But what it looks like is you're going to stick the things that you use most or that you want to use most visually where you can see them and where they're easy to grab. The reason being is because people like things that are accessible, that are easy. If you think about grocery stores, they will stick more of the expensive things right at eye level of most people. What they want you to buy is usually at eye level. Then the cheaper things are usually lower or higher. And there's a psychology behind that. Okay, so we're just implementing this technique in creating an environment where your child can learn to focus. And there are some things that parents have absolute control over. Refrigerator is one. Pantry is another. So after we applied this technique, we started to talk about the room. Okay, in what ways can we implement this into the room? So I had her describe what the room looked like for her son, Tim. She reported that Tim's room had a lot of clothes that he had to put away It had a lot of toys that he needed to put away, and usually everything was covered on the floor, either with clothes or with toys. So what we did was I had her have Tim choose his favorite toys, just a few, and his favorite clothing, just a few. And we made those visually accessible. And then we put the rest of the items somewhere where he didn't see them, because out of sight, out of mind. And what she found was that he was able to keep his room cleaner because he didn't have so much stuff, and that he didn't report missing any of the other things. In fact, he must have taken them for granted. According to her, she noticed that he was able to just focus in on a few items at a time. And then as he became more proficient at keeping his room clean, she would add another toy or add another shirt and then build up from there. So she had less laundry to do. Yay. 
He also had less toys to pick up, yay. And then when she gave instructions for him to clean his room, she would be more specific and say things like, I need you to pick up all your shirts from the floor and put them in the hamper, rather than saying something broad like, go clean your room. That's a lot more broad and difficult to describe. So Sharon was able to implement this whole technique in changing the environment to help her child focus on things that were easier for her child to do. Now, in the midst of all of this, I wanted them to also focus on effective negative consequences and effective positive rewards. Because if we focus on rewarding a positive behavior, what we are doing is we are reinforcing them to continue to do that positive behavior. When we implement effective negative consequences, what we're trying to do is stop them from having a negative behavior. Okay? Now, you can find the information on this skill, and actually we've broken it up into the two skills, effective negative consequences and effective positive rewards on the Smarter Parenting website. So jump over there, you can watch a video, there's an explanation and it shows how parents are using this, and it also helps you understand that there are five specific things that make consequences and rewards effective for a child. I'm going to list them here because I think it's important for you to understand, and then I'll explain how it worked with Sharon. So the first thing that you need in order to make a reward or a consequence work is that it should be immediate to the behavior. So if your child is misbehaving, you want to address the behavior immediately. If your child is doing something positively, you want to address the positive behavior immediately. That way they can connect the behavior with an outcome, okay? So immediacy is number one. Number two, the degree or size. You want to be sure that your child receives a reward or a consequence that's equal to the behavior. You don't want to give a huge consequence. So let's say your child does not clean their room. You don't want to ground your child for a month because grounding your child for a month means that you as a parent are grounded too, you have to be sure to follow through with that, okay? That's not equal, right? So you have to do some thinking here. What is equal to the behavior? The third thing is consistency. You need to be able to follow through with what you are saying. So if you're giving a reward or you are issuing a consequence, you need to be consistent. You need to be able to say, hey, this relates to your behavior. This is why you receive this reward. This is why you've earned this consequence. The fourth thing is that it needs to be important to your child. It needs to have value to your child. I've heard over and over again parents who have called in and said, you know, I give them consequences and they don't work. And as we explore the consequences, the reason why it doesn't work is because the consequence isn't important to the child. The child doesn't care about the consequence. So we have to look at what is of value to the child. And then the fifth thing is that it needs to vary. So you need to be flexible. What we mean by being varied is you need to switch up the reward or the consequence using a variety of rewards and consequences to either reinforce the positive behavior or to help them change the negative behavior or stop the negative behavior from happening again. So let me go through those again, because I know that's a lot to listen to, but I think it's important for you to hear. 
First, it needs to be immediate. Second, it needs to be the right size or degree. Third, it needs to be consistent. Fourth, it needs to be important to your child. And fifth, you need to vary it, change it up every once in a while. Okay? Giving the same consequence over and over and over again is going to lose its value. And that's why you need to vary it. All right? So, you have those five elements that make consequences and rewards work. Now, with Sharon, what we focused on were rewards. And the reason that we focused on rewards for the behaviors is because rewards tend to be very powerful in connecting with a child. And if you remember, our opportunities as parents is to connect with children. We want to look for opportunities to connect. Even with consequences, we teach them about the behavior and the negative aspects of the behavior. We want to find ways to still connect with the child. Rewards is an automatic way to make some connections. So for her child being able to eat more healthy snacks, for example, she would reward him at the end and they would both share an unhealthy snack at the end of the day. Now, you may think that this is counterintuitive, but it gave them time to connect with each other, to talk with each other, to share something together. Rather than having him sneak, you know, cookies and eat them on his own, they would have a couple of cookies together in moderation where mom could monitor how much he was taking and they could talk and visit. So an opportunity to connect. And he felt like that was an appropriate reward. If he was able to eat well during the day, he would receive a treat at the end of the day. Mom thought that was fair, so that was what they decided to use as the reward. So mom started to use rewards in this way. And uh, as he picked out some of his favorite clothing, she said, okay, now if you can take care of these four shirts and these four pants for this week, then I will add another shirt. And you can choose which shirt that is. And so by doing something like that, she's setting up these expectations, but she's also rewarding the positive behaviors if he's able to follow through. And he got to choose what shirt he wanted to earn back to put into his closet, and then they would build up from there. And anytime he would mess up, you know, she would say, okay, let's make some corrections here. It's not the end of the world. I'm here to connect with you and help you to succeed but we're going to make this work. So she was using effective positive rewards and effective negative consequences in order to create an environment for her child where he could be successful. All right. So we've covered the first two things that I wanted to cover during this podcast. The last one is I want you to leave with some inspiration. I want you to be able to recognize that your children, when they're struggling, They are really trying to learn. I want to share with you just how inspired I am by parents who are taking the time to really meet their children where they are at. There has been such a shift in parenting over the last, I would say, 50 years where we didn't have a lot of knowledge There wasn't a lot of studies that were available about how to best parent a child, how to help a child. And right now, during this time, we are the beneficiaries of multiple studies, of of multiple things that have come out through research and through academia that have helped us understand better how to work with children 
and how to raise resilient, strong, young people. It's a shift. If you think about how our grandparents were raised, how our parents raised us, and now how parents now are trying to raise their children, there has been a dynamic shift in how this is all happening. There's a lot more consideration for helping the child develop emotionally as a child so they can be happy as an adult. And that becomes part of what parenting is and why parents now are doing the hard work. They're doing some very, very hard things. It's it's interesting. As I go back, I read so much. I read so much and I study a lot of history and in studying this area of parenting, there was a time when children were to be seen but not heard. And corporal punishment, that was the way to do it. We're just going to spank our kids till they comply with what we need to do. And fortunately, those days are no longer appropriate. Fortunately, those days are gone. And that we are looking for better ways. We're looking at more effective ways at helping children succeed. So my bit of inspiration to you is start small. I want you to start off with, if, if it's snacks, start off with your refrigerator. Set it up in a way that what you want your child to focus on is front and center. Okay? What you want to focus on, front and center. That helps. That will start to help. And then start applying that in different areas in your home to create this environment of guiding your child along the things that they need to do. All right? And of course, we're here for coaching to make it individual. So all of these things are available on the Smarter Parenting website. You can jump over there, look at all the lessons that we have available. You can watch the videos. They're all free. And uh, because we are part of a charity... We want to provide this for free. We want to make this accessible to as many families as possible, which is why we are so grateful for our sponsors who pick up the cost of this to make it available to everybody else. So jump over there and watch the effective negative consequences and the effective positive reward skills to guide you along this process. But if you need individual coaching, Sign up for coaching and we can guide you along your specific issues and help you out. All right, that's it for me. I'll see you again next week.